Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. Ryan Tansom here. Today's guest is Jay Coughlin. Jay is a local Minnesotan here, and Jay was the CEO of Lawson Software. He took Lawson public at $200 million and then grew the revenues to $450 million. He also was the chairman and CEO of XRS Corporation, who sold to Omnitrax for $178 million, all cash. And today, Jay and I talk about his new book called Five Bold Choices, Rise Above Your Circumstances and Redefine Your Life. Jay's experience and story that brought him to writing this book is a unique one. He went from convict to CEO because back at a very unfortunate time in his life, there was an accident that took his father and sent him to jail. And Jay realized that he was not the victim of his circumstances and he had to own up to what happened and that he can change his destiny and where he wanted to go and who he wanted to be. So Jay and I have an awesome conversation. There's a bunch of gold nuggets from Jay's experience how he lives these five bold choices, and then how you can use these five bold choices to redefine who you are in this time of transition from being a business owner to life after or how you want to live your legacy. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by The Valley Advantage. The Valley Advantage is a platform delivered via peer groups and or one-on-one to help you build a valuable company that can thrive without you while putting an exit plan in place so you have the options to sell when you want to who you want for how much you want. You're able to manage the business by the numbers, work in the business as much or as little as you want, and you fully understand how the business impacts your personal financials. If you want to know more, check out the show notes or the website. Without further ado, here's Jay. Good morning, Jay. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Super uh, pumped for uh, today's interview because you've got quite the background and you've also got a book that just came out. And for our listeners' sake, why don't you just kind of go right into the meat of it and explain to the listeners the event that happened that kind of got you where you are today? Well, it was uh, January 3rd, 1998. My Dad and mom were in town from Philadelphia, where I grew up, uh, in Minas- in the Twin Cities visiting. And um, that day, my dad and I went out to a local hunt club. Um, after we had a great day, we made a mistake and went to a bar and stayed too long. And on the way home, driving home drunk, I missed a turn, went down a hill, and I hit a train at 60 miles an hour. And I don't remember, Ryan, much about that, but I do m- remember waking up in Hennepin County Medical Center in pieces, and I am in a lot of pain, and I am a mess. And uh, people are working on me, doctors are working on me, and um, I, I looked up and I saw my mom and I saw my wife, and I could just see something was terribly wrong. And my mom leaned down to me and said, your dad didn't make it. And I said, what? And she said, your dad didn't make it. And I'm going to tell you, you don't know what pain is until you hear something like that. For all the physical pain I was in, that was mass compared to now the emotional pain. And I just went to a really bad, bad spot. And I had no foundation in any kind of faith at this point, so I was just spiraling out of control. And so for the next few days, um, I'd go through a lot of operations. And um, my wife looked at me, and she said later, she says, I looked in your eyes, and you were gone. And I could see her, right? I could see her talking to me, but I just couldn't hear. You know, it was, it was a weird place to be. 
And she had, and other people had a bunch of priests and pastors were coming in to try and help me. And I'd kick them out of the room. I said, get out. Don't you understand? I'm responsible for my dad's death. Uh, and that's where I was for, for three or four days, just in a bad spot. And then one day, nobody's in the room and a total stranger comes in and he's talking to me. And for some reason, I'm listening to him because he's using words like sinner and forgiveness. And I said, man, I feel like I'm at the top of the center list. I was drinking and driving and I lost my dad, who I respected and admired. Um, and I said, I just I just said this prayer with him, Ryan. I said a prayer to admit it I was a sinner and I, I wanted to accept Jesus into my life. And I, I asked him into my life that I wanted to walk with him every day. And then boom, it was like powerful. It was like it was like the Holy Spirit just connected to my soul. And I just exhaled all that guilt. And then he left. And I don't know how much time went by, but my wife came in and she looked at me. And she goes, I saw a completely different person. And totally out of blue, I turned to her and I said, hey, honey, I just accepted Jesus in my life. And, and, it, and it, was, it was just, it was extremely, extremely powerful. And then, as you know, with all good stories, Ryan, and everything in my life just got perfect after that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, can't, so, I couldn't, I honestly couldn't imagine because my dad and I are very close. And it sounds like you guys obviously were too. And I just couldn't. I mean, I couldn't imagine all the stuff, you know, from business to all the, you know, the piddly stuff that we have to deal with. I couldn't imagine what that felt like at all. Yeah, it was it was a tough. It was extremely tough spot. I received uh, forgiveness from God. I received forgiveness from my family, quite frankly, my brothers and sisters, my mom. Um, but I didn't receive forgiveness from the state. And and the next, you know, part of the journey is I, I'm in a wheelchair. I got out of the hospital, you know, after a, a few weeks. And I'm in a wheelchair, because I was in a wheelchair for a few months, and I'm reading a letter from the state, and it said, we're prosecuting you for criminal vehicular homicide. Yeah. Four-year prison sentence. And I was like, what does this mean to me now? And uh, my Jewel, my wife and I would pack up the wheelchair and go see lawyers as we start to fight for, for my life. How old are you at this time? 38, 38, uh, 38, 39. And I'm on a fast track at Lawson at this point. And I'm trying to keep my life together. I'm trying to keep the business piece together, keep the family piece together. And I spend six months in a trial. And by the way, I'm guilty. You know, this is not like me spending this thing. You know, I'm, I'm guilty. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that where you're in a nightmare. And I imagine all of us have some version of this where it's really a tough time of your life where, you know, you, you're going to bed at night, you're thinking about it. And when you open your eyes in the morning, you're thinking about it. And I'm in this trial and I'm thinking, man, four years is going to destroy my life. And so uh, what what the difference, though, is I'm going through this trial is I have this newfound faith. I was going to say, I couldn't imagine, Jay, going through that. Like, what would you have, like, can you, have you thought, like, what that would have been like if you not, you know. I, you know, I, I, I now I know why people get depressed. I know why they, you know, self-medicate, you know, because you got so much pain you're trying to deal with. But I had this faith now, and, I, and I'm really relying on it so much so that, you know, I'm, I'm worried about a bunch of stuff. But I'm reading the Bible for the first time in my life, and I'm reading Philippians. And, in, in, you know, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it starts with, don't worry about anything. I'm like, whoa, Lord, I'm, I'm worried about everything. You know, right. I'm, I'm really concerned here. Don't worry about <laughs> a anything. A couple things on my plate. <laughs> yeah, you follow because don't worry about anything. He said, pray about everything. If you do this, you experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than you might understand. And I received peace. And what that meant is, is I could go to sleep and, and I could get up and I could fight for my life. I could meet my lawyers. I could go to work trying to keep the, the job together. And so this faith starts to become real for me as I, as I go through this process. 
<clears throat> Unfortunately, Ryan, you know, at the end of, uh, of uh, September, Lawson was having an event, and I missed the first day, missed the first night, missed most of the second day. I went to the event, uh, and I got up to speak, and this is the first time a lot of people at Lawson were really seeing me from the accident. And my division had done great things, and I had a lot of great men and women working for me, and they had knocked the ball out of the park. So by the time I got up to speak to about 300 people, um, I walk up to the microphone, I, I receive a standing ovation. And I got to tell you, it's one of the highlights of my business career. And when I got up to the microphone, what I felt like saying was, yesterday I was sentenced six months in jail, 10 years probation. And when I describe to people in terms of life, I say, what kind of roller coaster ride are you on? Standing ovation, going to jail. No kidding. So what was the standing ovation for? I mean, was they, it, was, they, they, it was the first time they were seeing me. They, you know, uh, the, the division had done well. We won a bunch of awards. I don't think, I think I was using a cane, but it looked like I was healed. So it was about that, uh, yeah. yeah. And, but it was just this, this affirmation of wow. like, hey, you know, who, who I am and the division and, and what you've done. And for as great as it was, I knew I was going to jail as soon as I got off that stage. Oh, or as soon crazy. as I got back, as soon as I got back. But what I say to people, I'll, I'll say that, you know, Brian, just like you, just like, you know, the little dialogues we've had, what kind of roller coaster rider are you on? What kind of roller coaster rider is your audience on? You know, it might not be as high as standing ovation or as low as going to jail, but you're on a roller coaster ride. Right? It's just how are you managing through this? And for me, it became what are the choices that I started to need to, to make in order to not be defined by my worst mode? And yeah, that's that's uh, I, I, I mean, I can't even imagine it because I mean, I've been through my own roller coaster rides as you, you and I were saying, right, with the, the challenges and businesses and financing and all the all the you know personal family issues and stuff like that. But you know, when you talk about those two highs and lows in one 24 hour span, I mean, my gosh, I couldn't imagine how you kept it all together. Yeah, and then and then the process starts where you know you go to jail, you got to manage through that, you got to still manage trying to get you know, to and from work, you know, you gotta, you know, I didn't want my kids to come down and see me in that orange jumpsuit. So I'm managing through trying to see them. Um, and, and as you go through all that, you're, you're just trying to chunk your life and say, let me get through it. Uh, but it's the beginnings of making choices that I did not want to become a victim of my circumstances. And I see way too many people today, uh, just letting their circumstances ultimately define who they're going to be. And for me, I was like, hey, there's no way I'm going to be defined by this. I'll, I'll, I'll do something else, but I'm not going to be defined by my worst moment. So what was the self-talk? I mean, so you're having those kind of conversations in your head as you're you know, going through your situation. I mean, like, what were the ways that you were dealing with it then? So if you're not going to be a victim of your circumstance, like, what, what are the things that you did? To well, there, 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 was amazing, there was amazing parts of the self-talk that, uh, that – become part of the choices. The self-talk is usually negative. Let me give you an example. When I was in the trial, here's how the self-talk went. You know, it was like it was like a it was like the toilet bowl being flushed. You know, I said if I go to jail for four years, I'll go, you know, I'll lose my job. I lose my job, I lose my house, I lose my house, I lose my wife. Yeah. My wife, by the way, my wife's we've been married, you know, twenty nine years. She was an asset. But I could take a bad situation and pile on with some negative self-talk that wasn't true. And so part of part of me was to say, look, when, when I coach other men and uh, other people, I'll, I'll say, look, you got to deal with reality. Reality already could be bad enough. You don't need to pile on with a bunch of untruths, <laughs> right? And so the real reality is know where the truth is. And when you do and you're prepared, you start to build confidence up. 
as you go through really tough situations or even good situations. Because at the end of the day, Ryan, I, I would profess that life is going to throw all of us a bunch of opportunities and a bunch of challenges. And those opportunities and challenges are going to demand a response. And unfortunately, I, I watch way too many people just live by default. And they don't make decisions, they don't make choices, they procrastinate, they just run away, and therefore they live life in, in what I would call comfortably numb. Yep. And in that comfortably numb, they become victims of their circumstances and they get stuck in life. And I, I, I'm not just like, life can be so much more than that. It can be so much better than that. You just have to make these decisions, these choices that ultimately allow you to, to not be a victim of your circumstances but now you'd be defined by something else. Hopefully something a lot better. Well, yeah, it's interesting because I mean, with, with our audience and the, you know, whether it's comfortably known and uh, there's uh, some mutual kind of, kind of context you gonna have from the halftime where, you know, you think about the, uh, they call it smoldering discontent where the, you know, it's, you, you said the victim of your circumstance, but you know, people that have, you know, built a business and built you know, a very successful enterprise, still feel that and this you know victim of your circumstances you you've assumed this role this identity with all these people and trying to figure out you know how to use that to actually live a purposeful life is is a very mm -hmm. big challenge i think and so it, it might sound you know it might sound ridiculous to a lot of people where it's you're a victim of your circumstance but it actually becomes almost a prison to some people i think yeah i agree I agree. So the first choice that, that I talk about in the, in the book, but certainly I would be dialoguing with you if I was coaching you, is, is clarity. And the, the reality of having focus is, is extremely important in today's world. Um, I, I find that most people, Ryan, you might, you might have the same thing, uh, they're busy. You know, everybody's busy. You know, John Wooden, the famous coach from UCLA, once said, never confuse activity with achievement. And I'm amazed at how many people are busy, but they're really wearing business as some sort of badge of honor. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'll say, you know, how are you doing? They'll tell me how busy they are. And I'll say, I didn't ask you how busy you are. I said, you know, are you accomplishing anything? Right. You know, and, and, you know, and so to me, the beginnings of, of, of being able to define who you want to be is to having the clarity of knowing who you want to be. And what that's going to force you to do is going to force you to pick and choose between what's important versus what's just urgent. Yep. Uh, and it also is going to force you to prioritize because you're not going to be able to do everything. And you have to prioritize so you can say not only what's important from what's urgent, but let me prioritize things so that I know what I'm not going to do versus what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have clarity you know, in terms of what you want to do, both in your career, your education, your relationships, your values, and so forth, and you just let anything happen, well, guess what? It's the beginnings of becoming that victim. Mm -hmm. So the first choice for me is for you to understand and for me to understand what is it that I want to do. Do I want to have success? I, I'm a big proponent of having success and having significance. You, know, you don't have to have, you know, it doesn't have right. to be an or dialogue. It can be an end dialogue. You know, but you're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to choose because one thing I know for a fact is you can't do everything. Yeah, and I think you know I got a couple questions because as we jump into the, you know your five bold choices from the book, I, in I think clarity to be honest, Jay is like the hardest one for people. Uh, in how do you go like 
you know, I, I'm sure when you're coaching, you're talking to people, you just keep asking why, and you can probably get down to the bare truth at some point. But you know, when when someone's got to kind of reshift their train tracks, right? As what 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 projection, they're, what which way they're uh, they're going? What what are some things that you've seen, and like, how did you go about the clarity? Like, what's important to you? Well, I, I think I'll give you the detailed answer, but the first up easy answer is there's something that you need to embrace. It's a question of what you want to do you need to embrace. I got two boys in college. Well, when they're in college, what's the common question we're asking them? You know, what, what do you, you want to do, do, right? <laughs> what do you want to do, right? And, and by the way, I'm asking them that because, you know, I, I want them to get off the Because you're forking gravy. over the tuition, yeah, right. <laughs> well, I want them to get off the gravy. I want them off the gravy train. So I'm, I'm asking, right? So, um, but the reality is, it's a question that you need to embrace your whole life. I've been, I've been, I've retired more than once. I'm 58 years old. I could be a CEO again, and, and I'm asking myself a different question now. What do I want to do? And I answer it differently. I want to be an executive coach. I do keynote speaking, boards, and that kind of such. So it's a question that you need to embrace, not fight against. The way I did it, Ryan, was I was always a big goal setter. And I would write down my goals. And um, the reason I did that, I, <laughs> I'd love to tell you it's altruistic reasons, but it's not. I was in my late 20s, and I, and I read a report out of Yale University that said, you know, they studied this graduating class from the 50s that when now was the late 70s, early 80s, and 5% of this class had generated more wealth than the other 95% combined. And I was thinking, if you went to Yale in the 50s, the demographics were probably similar. You were probably male, white educated, you know, somewhat affluent. Mm -hmm. So if the demographics were the same, what allowed 5% to generate more wealth than the other 95% combined? And the only difference that they said was the 5% wrote down their goals. Isn't that crazy? And I started to write down my goals. And I, initially, it was all about, you know, work and career and me, me, me. And then after the accident, it became more, you know, about faith and family and, and friends and so forth. But I always knew where I wanted to go. So even so, when I was in the accident and eventually I got out of the fog and so forth, I didn't have to go, well, what am I going to do now? I just went back to the goals and said, oh, I, let me get back on track. And mm -hmm. that was a big difference in terms of my ability to have that big windshield and small rearview mirror. I knew where I wanted to go. So I, you know, I don't know if, you, if, if the best answer is for you to do to the extreme I do with writing down goals but you have to have focus. So I'm just kind of curious. Uh, sorry to interrupt because I'm, I'm curious for someone that, you know, ho hopefully the, you know, people don't have to have such a tragic event in their life to reshift from tangible, you know, materialistic goals of, you know, careers or titles or stuff like that. So like when you shifted, I'm just kind of curious, so like, you know, what are on your goals? So you've probably got them written down somewhere on your desk right now or something like that. I'm just kind of curious, like, what are the things that drive you? Well, I, I, it was funny because when I went back and looked at my goals uh, in January 1st, 1998, <laughs> I, could, I could go back and tell you how warped they were. You know, they were all about, you know, career, work, work, work. Uh, and then and I shifted. I even wrote, I remember where I was spiritually because at number 10 at the bottom of the third page, you know, of three pages, I wrote spiritual. I wrote, have to go to church more often because my children need the guidance. Hmm. I didn't need it. My children need it, but I had no foundation, <laughs> right? So then now going forward, it, it's about faith. It's about family it, and so forth. Now, with that said, when I was in, when I was at Lawson, I was at XRS, I, you know, a disproportionate amount of my time still was, was in work. And it was, you know, as how do I do it? But I just didn't let it become all and 
encompassing mm-hmm. and defining. The only thing that defined me was CEO of Lawson or CEO of XRS. Mm-hmm. So I was doing these other things. So that allowed me to start to say, how do I get in balance? You know, how do I how do I make sure that I'm not just all in on one thing? That allowed me to be able to persevere over the course of all sorts of challenges that come in any kind of work environment. Mm-hmm. And and that's what was was extremely important as I started to define who I wanted to be, and as I started to figure out there was other things in terms of in addition to success. I'm a big proponent to say you know you should be successful, go out and do uh, have as much success as, as you can. But it's and what else are you doing in terms of significance, giving back, and other things? Right. I, I don't use it as an or dialogue. I use it as an and dialogue. Which is which I think is super cool because I mean. Hey, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I, all the people that I usually interact with are, and it's fun, right? Just because yes. it's, I mean, you've got ways to measure yourself. You've got goals. You can keep succeeding, and but you know, it can't be the only thing that you identify with. And that was kind of the the main emotional journey that I went through after we sold Imaging Pass. Like, okay, well, that's not me. So like, I've got to have, you know, the balance of how do I measure stuff outside of just the fun of the of the of you know doing the next deal or, or growing your company. You know, and one of the things exercise I'll go through is I'll, I'll say, you know, Ryan, what gives you energy? Um, and, you know, for me, it's things like outdoor activities. It's getting together with family, getting together with friends. Um, and, and I'll go through your list and then I'll say, you know, well, when was the last time you did any of them? <laughs> and one of the things where people will come up to me and they'll always they'll say, how come I'm so worn out? How come I'm so tired? And I'll go, because you haven't done any of the energy giving activities. There's a bunch of, (laughs) probably there's a bunch of energy sucking activities that you're doing, you know. Uh, But if you're not able to to monitor that and and make sure you're aware that you need to do some of these energy giving activities along the way, because life's a marathon. Mm -hmm. Life's not a sprint. And Mm -hmm. so along the way, you're going to have to do some of the energy sucking activities. That's part of life. But make sure you're giving yourself the opportunity to do enough of the energy giving activities as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's I mean super basic, right? But it's super real. Like what get, like some people don't like to be with people, some people like to be with people. And you mean some right. people like to build and create or whatever, but yeah, and I think it's it's a very basic but it's a very answerable question. You know, you don't have mm-hmm. to you don't have to think like overly hard about it. So You've got the the book, the the five bold choices. We talk, we were talking about clarity, and you kind of mentioned about balance. But as we, I want like I want you to kind of hit on some of the other ones because I think there's your experiences in business and uh, through your perseverance um, has boiled you know some things down to these five choices. And so I'm just kind of curious, where did they come from? And then we can kind of touch on a couple of the other ones. You know. Um... That when I was when I was going through this this these events, you know, and I, and I usually describe the events of January third, nineteen ninety eight, when I got in the accident, and then you know had the I was in trauma center, went trial, got in jail, got out. On December seventh, two thousand one, I took loss in public with a bunch of great people. Uh, we raised two hundred million dollars, had a one point four billion dollar market cap, um, a lot fifth largest IPO in Minnesota history. But those caps, that January 3rd, 1998 to December 7, 2001, that's less than four years. I mean, I did a commencement speech a year ago, and I said, in less time than it took you to go to college, I went from you know, convict to CEO. And, and, and really what was happening then is I wasn't writing a book. I had to go back and say, I, I used to speak a lot, and men would come up to me afterwards, you know, men and women, but mainly men would say, hey, how did you do it, Jay? And I'd say, I had this newfound faith, and I'd say, yeah, well, I'm praying too, but what else? 
<laughs> and, you know, and, and, and I would say, okay, well, I had to go back and say, well, what did I do? You know, what was the things in addition to faith that were, were driving me? And it really came down to, it was these choices. And then when we put the book together, I did it with Larry Julian, and he would ask me again and again, well, you know, clarity, you know, what, what was it again? How did you do it? How did you do it? And eventually we, got, we came down to these, these trends and patterns that kept coming up. And those were the, the they ultimately became the five choices. And they're choices that are available to all of you. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's awesome because, I mean, yeah, you can pray too, but you got to take your own action. Like you got to be, like you said, you got to be in control of your own circumstances and how you act on it. So I think these five, you know, choices are, yeah, you have to make these five choices. And so, um, we were, t- we were talking about the clarity. Do you want to kind of run through the other ones? And Well, I think, I think the next one is really interesting. It's, it's accountability. And uh, accountability, you know, you're on a, you're, again, life's a marathon. You've got to take some people along the way. And I describe accountability as motivational. And most people hate the idea of accountability. And, I, and I'm saying there's a ton of things that are positive about it. And I will say the more change you have in life, Ryan, the more accountability you're going to need. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, to me, everybody runs against it. But accountability becomes motivational because I have accountability to take my wife out on vacations or my family out on vacations. You know, and, and I'm speaking to groups. I always say, you know, do you remember what vacations you went on when you were in high school? And most people can remember, you know, one or two, you know, even though I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood with not, not much money, we still took occasional trips. And I would say, well, do you remember what you were doing in science class or math class? <laughs> you know, and so, you, you know, for me, my point is there's motivation and your accountability to do things with your family in addition to whatever you're doing in business. But the main thing about accountability is that it's about continuous learning. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say, you know, when you think about accountability, you usually think about failure or success. And I start with success, and I say, when you have success in life, do you celebrate? And most people don't. They have success, and they just move on to the next thing. And the reason they do that, in my opinion, is because, one, you haven't told anybody that it was your goal. Or, right. Right? Yeah. Right? or you didn't so you know it was your quiet. goal. Right. You know, so, so you just had, you know, had, but if you had success, I would say stop for two reasons. One, celebrate. Do some of those energy-giving activities, because remember, life's a marathon. Uh, give yourself, you know, some time to actually, you know, reju- reduce the, uh, you know, yourself in terms of, of the marathon of life. And the other thing is, what did you do right? Because mm-hmm. you might want to repeat it, right? right. So you lear- what's your learnings from it? Don't just run into the next thing. What did you do right? And what did you like? Business. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, what did you enjoy about it too? All, all the above, you know. And then when you get to the next piece of accountability called failure, most people, this is what they think about when they think about accountability. I looked at failure was nothing more than just an continue, continued way to learn. Mm-hmm. And I failed way more than the, the average person. And I think, Ryan, as you know, different executives, they would say they fail more often than mm-hmm. the average person. Yep. But I never looked at it as, as a final defeat. I always looked at it as just continuous learning. And, and I, you know, I, I could argue I got some failures that are way, you know, I got examples of failures that would you know, make most people pale by comparison. You know, I had one where I missed a, a number at loss in one quarter. I lost $200 million in one day in market cap. I go, beat that. Yeah. Beat that. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, you come home from work, you know, you're having dinner with the wife. How was your day? Oh, well, I lost $200 million today. How was yours? <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. So, But the reality for me, whether I failed big like that 
with a bunch of people or I failed individually on something small, I always did the same exercise. It was called debrief. And it was three questions. And I would ask myself or ask my team. I'd say the first question would be, what did we do right? And most times when you fail, what's the first question people are asking? What you do wrong. Right. Yep. And so for, for me, it was to change the paradigm because I guarantee you and me or the team has done something right to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Second question I would ask would be what, with the value of hindsight and new information and such, what would we have done or what would, should I have done differently? And the third question is what am I going to change? Because there might be 10 things I would you know, do differently, but I can only change three of them. Mm-hmm. And so for me, failure was nothing more than just a constant way to continue to learn. I was, I was always running tech companies, and for me, it was about speed. So I could make a decision, learn from it, make another decision, learn from it, make another decision. Before most people could make their first decision, I'm like, good luck catching up to me. Right. You know, so. yeah. No, I, I, I agree. It's, you know, there's, a, there's a book um, that's one of my very, very favorites called Mindset. I don't know if you're familiar with the book at all. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, you're just like preaching my language here with the failure because it, you know it's a, it's about growth mindset and you can't you can't figure out what to do right what you do uh, right if you don't know how to fail and learn from it. I mean it's 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 a good thing. It's not it's not something that should be you know feared. It, it shouldn't be feared. It's it's about learning and and if you have accountability and you have somebody there. By the way, somebody there that's for encouragement, not somebody there that's trying to give you a hard time. Mm-hmm. And very few people go through the day getting any kind of encouragement. Um, you, you, you then say, well, I can take some people along the way with me so that, that I can actually get that encouragement. Mm-hmm. I think one of the struggles, Ryan, is is when we show up in the morning and I say, Ryan, how you doing? And you say, fine. And you say, Jay, how you doing? I say, fine. The only thing we've established is that we're both probably lying. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so, and I don't mean if we're passing in the hallway, I mean, if I'm trying to have yep. a breakfast or a lunch, trying to help you out. Yeah. The reality is, is, is if I can understand and you can tell me what you're trying to accomplish and I can say, you know, Brian, did you do what you said you were going to do? There is a lot of encouragement in that. And most people aren't getting any encouragement. And that's why I think accountability at the end of the day is motivational and greatly needed. Yep. And if you want to know the biggest first step you can take in accountability, it's to be an accountability partner for somebody else. Huh. And that will teach you more about accountability than anything I can teach you in trying to speak to you for the next 20 minutes is just try to help somebody else out. Uh, and then for, you'll learn how much you need it. Well, you know, and from running businesses and, you know, all the owners that I know, I mean, you're not. You're the one that holds everybody else accountable, but you need someone that like. So I'm a, uh, as I was telling you, in a peer group called Allied Executives, and you know, you tell these people what you're doing, so that way, you, you know, next month when you show up and you either didn't do your stuff or you did it, or whether it's personal or business, you can have someone encourage you to, you know, keep per- pursuing your goal or congratulate you if you hit it. I mean, it's it's still important, even even if you are, you know, the man up man up top. Yeah, and it's motivational to know that I've got to go in and answer to them, right. so I better get it done. Right? I've been there, done that. <laughs> right. and, and and that's all motivational, and it's all important compared to just what noise, right. busyness. Right? So, so you got uh, adaptability, which I, I want to hear your thoughts on that uh, choice because you know on your on your book, it's the personal change precedes practical change, and I think that's very 
very it hits the nail on the head for our listeners as we're talking about like a time of personal and business transition. I mean, can you kind of g- explain what you mean by that? Well, I think you know you have to uh, embrace change, embrace adapting, uh, because if you're fighting it, you're you know you're fighting it against winds that are blowing way too hard in your face. And the exercise I usually take people through is I say, you know, in your professional life, your personal life, and maybe even with your health, uh, maybe even your finances. If you look back five years, uh, how much have you had to change in your personal life, professional life, and maybe even your health, uh, maybe even your relationships? And I'll and I'll I'll caution you to say like the the phone and social media and all wasn't even here seven eight years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So just think about the impact all oh that's had. Gosh, I know. Right. So so then I then I'll say, you know, take the same thing and go forward in the next five years. How much do you think you're going to have to change in your personal life, your professional life, you know, your health and, and so forth? Because anything you read, you know, and I read will tell you you're going to change more in the next five years than you did in the last five. Mm-hmm. So and your ability to just your paradigm needs a shift that you need to embrace the ability to adapt versus fight it. And yep. that is at the heart of the message that you need to change because it's going to be part. You're not going to be able to persevere through life uh, if you're going to fight adoption. And I don't mean you got to be on the latest and greatest technology of everything that comes out, but you do need to realize that you're going to be changing and embrace it. Well, it's it, yeah, and I think you know, with uh, the listeners and the people I deal with, and probably a lot of the executives and owners you deal with, where I mean, change when you get used to being. The CEO or the owner. I mean, when my dad uh, and I sold, I mean, he was he was the he was the head honcho for you know multiple decades, and I was I got used to having that title, and all of a sudden it gets the rug. I mean, it's like the rug just gets pulled out from you, and you you know you show up at these events like who are you and what do you do, and you're like uh well I used yeah. to be, and so like how long can you answer as I used to be? And it's funny I uh, this is I'll I'll have the name uh, remain undis- or, uh, uh, anonymous, but I had an email that came in from a an owner of a local business here and I'm giving a speech that is about starting with the end in mind. doesn't mean you have to sell today or anything like that. It's just like start with the end in mind because then you can be more adaptive, right? And mm-hmm. he sends an email that says, Ryan, thanks for thinking of me. I never plan on selling now or ever. And it's just like, that's probably the least adaptable individual yeah. I've ever come across. Like yes. you'll eventually have to figure something out because life just changes. Right. And by the way, if you, Take that attitude. The government's going to own your business when you leave. <laughs> right. Yeah, and your kids yeah, aren't going to yeah. get anything anyways. No, they're not going to get any money, right? So I mean, yeah, that that's, <laughs> that's a fool's attitude, only because he's not thinking through the realities of the of what's going to impact him on an ongoing basis. And you and I both know the business world can change on a dime. Mm-hmm. And so, are you flexible enough to change with it? And I, I don't know any executive that I don't talk to that doesn't tell me their business is going to change dramatically in the next five years. Oh, it's and so wild. That's just whether. And by the way, if you don't adapt, you know, you die very quickly there. Yeah. And so I think in a personal life, unfortunately, I see the same thing. I see people not adapting and, and, and back to getting stuck or becoming victims of their circumstance because of it. And if you if you want to talk about what was me, I'm just the wrong guy to talk to. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know, you don't have to be let that happen. You're going to have to, you know, do something about it. But you have a lot of options for yourself. Mm-hmm. So when you're saying like personal change precedes practical change, what do you, what do you what exactly do you mean by that? Well, you think, you know, when when you look about personal change, you know, you you think about terms of of uh, just think through 
you know, what's relationships are going to change? You know, what behaviors and actions need to change? What, what are the, you know, hopefully your values aren't changing, but do you even understand what your values are Mm -hmm. right? in terms of what they might be? You know, I did this with my family. We went through our, our, our values, you know, it's cool. My kids are a little bit older than yours. And it was easy. It was fun for me to say, not what do I want your values to be? What are they? Yeah. What are our family values? You know, because you're at an age where you know, you know, it was it was cool. We went through them, and it was, it was fun for us to do. You need that awareness to start, because if you don't have that awareness, then you know, talking about change is is nothing but you know, hard. People mm-hmm. don't change because they want to change. So once you have that self awareness and awareness that you're going to be impacted by things in the future. Then I found me and people that I coach are more embracing and taking advantage of the things that are coming their way. And so the practical piece comes that, hey, I might be able to change my career aspiration. I might be able to change my job. I might be able to, you know, change in this relationship because I'm healthy about it, not Mm -hmm. unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, um, we just had a speaker in my last peer group and uh, we were talking about like, you know, productivity and it was all, you know, I think in lines of with your practical, it's like, how do you practically change? And um, I like to consider, I'd like to think of myself as I've kind of got my, my, like what's important to me. And we were kind of going through and they're like, Oh, how do you, you know, I think the biggest challenge everybody's got is to say no to things. Yeah. And um, I, I find it easier because you know, like you, it'd be interesting with you and your family's vision or your personal life statement. They're like, Hey, do you have a personal vision? And it's like, well, yeah, I do. And cause then you can change and you can adapt to your surroundings and say no to things that don't matter. You know, like you said, there's just noise. And I think it's easier to adapt if you kind of got that, that longer goal of whatever yeah. it is for your life. Because then, you know, as things kind of, you can, I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate it. We're like, you can put it in line with your plan, right? You, you yeah, can, you can I, say I, I think it's I think it's right. Let me take a shot at this, Ryan. So I do a lot of strategy work with with executives. So, and a lot of people like to do strategy who've never done it before because they think oh, I just get to go out one day and think about big ideas, right? And not be and in, yeah, a bunch of stuff in the way. <laughs> yeah, but the reality of hard thing about strategy is once you determine, you know, all you know the marketplace and all the other things of what you're going to do. The hardest part for a CEO is not telling the marketplace or the employees what they're doing. It's what they're not doing. Mm-hmm. And, and and CEO's jobs at the end of the day is to make bets. You know, you make bets and where are you going to put your resources, right? And every CEO, I don't care you can be CEO of a large, you know, Fortune 500 company, you're still making bets because you can't do everything. Mm-hmm. Well, if there's so much energy and effort to go into that as a company. You got the same thing in your personal life. Where are you making your re- where are you putting your resources? Where are you making your bets? And just like you just said, what are you not doing? Mm-hmm. Because you can't do everything. I've never met anybody that's successful at everything. Right? One well, successful one tries it. to do everything. I mean, like, it just you just can't. I mean, I I always love everybody who talks about twenty four hours in a day. You know, and I think it's it's been over beaten into the ground where no one can actually like conceptualize that anymore where I like there's 168 hours every week because everybody can yeah. think in a week and it's like what do you where do you allocate your time and how do you deal with the things that come your way that's the, that's in the the actual balance chapter I have it's the 168 rule that I go through no kidding say, I love it yeah and what I'll say is you know if I list out all the activities that you like to do that give you energy I'll say you know how many hours a week do you sleep and if you say you know just say seven a night so round it to 50 
I'll say, how many hours a week do you work? If you say 50, I go, yeah, that's 100. So we got 68 hours left to put all this stuff in. Mm-hmm. Then I'll start to say things like, well, how many hours a week do you watch TV? Or are you on the computer? And 68 hours quickly becomes 48, becomes 28. And you start to realize that you don't have as much time as you think. Initially, it looks like, wow, I got all this time to do all this stuff. When you start to really define it, you go like, wow, you're down to like an hour. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, and, and, if you, and if you don't actually choose what to do at that time, it will get filled up with other stuff. Well, people will fill it for you, right? Or people will, that's even worse. But people will fill it for you. But the reality is, are you doing things that matter? Are you doing things that are towards your goals? Are you doing things that give you energy? These are all the things that allow you to to appreciate life more than become that victim where you're all worn out because you're not really controlling it. And the 168 rule is one of the few things in life that's fair. You don't get 169, I don't get 167. Isn't that, I love it. I absolutely love it because, so I go to uh, Lifetimes in the morning and Mm -hmm. You know, it will. I don't. It was somewhere. I don't know where I came, where I heard that as well. Um, but you know, I always love it because everybody's in their workout clothes and everybody's. I mean, everybody's kind of neutral, right? And you probably experienced it yeah. in the in your uh, in your past with yeah. everybody wearing orange jumpsuits. And it, the reality yeah. is, everybody wakes up and has the level playing field. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the orange jumpsuit guys are have a little. They got well, some disadvantages. Yeah. They got some wind blowing in their face. <laughs> trust say, me. There's, a, there's a couple <laughs> bar, a couple bars That's, in their way, right? Their dialogues you're having with them is a little different than the Lifetime Club, I can guarantee. So, but I mean, like, well, you went from in four years. Look what you did, though. I mean, so mm-hmm. I, I, I do believe, you know, all things, you know, aside from major physical and mental. Uh, capabilities people are capable of you know accomplishing the things that they want to if they and you have to be careful who you listen to you know because i can't tell you how many people told me i couldn't do it i couldn't do it you're convicted felon you're not gonna be able to do this you're not gonna be able to do that i you know i i i I spent no time listening to them Mm -hmm. i spent all my time trying to say well i got this big windshield i'm back you know i'm i'm going forward i don't want to listen to you tell me that I can't do something. Now you got to be prudent. You can't just say I'm going to do something that's outrageous. You know right. that you'll never accomplish. But with that said, you know I always say I have a really small rearview mirror and I got a giant windshield, and so I can learn from the past. But I'm always looking to the future. Mm-hmm. Well, and that kind of goes into your the, the fourth because right? I could, I know we went down to the fifth of the balance and the fourth is confidence, right? And making sure you got confidence in what you want to do and not it's not everybody else writing your dialogue. Right. When confidence, you know, people would always say to me, how is it you have so much confidence? How do you have so, you know, what you're, you're doing? I don't have any more, you know, wisdom than, than anybody else. I, I say to me, confidence came down to two things. It came down to being prepared. You know, you got, there's got to be work involved, right? You got to put some effort. If you're not prepared, you're not going to be confident, but it's also about knowing the truth. And it was back to that concept of that, you know, toilet bowl where I'm saying, you know, if I go to jail for four years, I'll lose my job, lose my house, lose my wife. Right. You got to deal with the truth. And what I find is when, when I'm coaching people and they're in trouble, they usually have this negative self-talk has taken them and added stuff that they shouldn't be dealing with. And let's just deal with your situation as it is. It's probably hard enough. You don't need to be adding other stuff to it. And you got to get through this negative self-talk. One of the ways to do it is you got to meet with somebody back to accountability. Because I don't know if you've ever done this, Ryan, where, you know, I got something in my head and I'm thinking about it. And it makes sense. And I go to explain it to you and it's coming out of my mouth. I go, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> All right. And I, but, but, three, but three minutes ago, it made sense in my yeah, head, even yeah, though it's yeah. ridiculous. So part of it is you got to just deal with the truth, deal with reality, mm-hmm. 
be prepared, gives you the ability to have confidence. And when you have confidence, you got credibility. Mm-hmm. And the credibility that comes along with, with this journey is extremely important. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I love it because, you know, if you're in confidence, I like, I like how you said that it, it comes from being prepared too because it's not just the blind confidence like you were saying. You know, you right. got to have, you know, understanding what your resources are and then right. making – I think the biggest thing, and I don't know if this comes into – your, your confidence, but like, I think so many people have a very difficult time just making a decision and then just being confident with that decision and then accepting whatever ramifications come into it. You know, just yeah, say, hey, you know what, I, I this is what I want to do and I'm going to learn, like kind of what you're saying, I'm going to learn from what I what I figure out with my decision, but I'm at least confident with what what direction I'm going. Right, and that's why I said, you know, back to, you know, how the, the choices, you know, come together is you got to have clarity because you're going to have to be prepared and you can't be prepared for everything. Right? Right. So which ones are important, which ones you need to put the effort in, which ones you get the accountability to actually have people help you that you can get better at through the, through the learnings of success and failure. And ultimately that starts to build on itself. Again, if you're trying to do everything for everybody, you're just not going to be good at anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Mm-hmm. so, you know, for our listeners that are, that are dealing with this point of transition that are kind of, Sitting in that, you know, that goofy, you know, if you want to call it purgatory or whatever you want to say with their business, trying to figure out whether they want to keep it, they want to eventually pass it on, whatever, you know, how, how would you apply these five bold choices into understanding what their circumstances are and how to kind of take some action? I mean, what, I mean, I know that's probably a loaded question, but just kind of curious from the people that you've interacted with and some of the things that you've seen, if you've got any kind of very applicable ways to, to take these things. Well, I think, I think the first step is, is to get out of the isolation. You know, I think, especially men, mm-hmm. we isolate ourselves and it's a huge mistake. You know, I mean, we, we got some really bad advice and it was called suck it up. And, and what suck it up meant was, you know, get up and make something happen. And we took it to be, well, let me do it on my own. And, and I think it's a huge mistake because you're not getting the value of insight from other people you're not getting the encouragement. You know, when I talk about clarity, how do I have somebody that I can really bounce my ideas off of? You know, my confidence comes from knowing other people and, and building up my credibility. How do I stay in balance by having friends and do stuff? So you, the number one thing that I think men and then executives, you know, lonely at the top kind of syndrome is you get caught in an isolation and that's the biggest mistake you can make. So you got a journey. You got to take some people along the way. You got to get advice. You can get out of the negative self-talk by actually dialoguing with people. You can get encouragement. So I, I think the biggest thing that starts with Ryan is I find is how do I help people? How do you help people stop from being isolated? Mm-hmm. Part, even 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 your group that you're talking about is is a big part of that. Yeah, you know, yeah. how do I stop you from thinking you got to have all the answers? You know yourself. And 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 I absolutely could not agree with you more because. Um, it's a very unique um, example, specific, specifically because of your background. But uh, you know, the, the the human brain and soul wants to be with people like constantly. Yes. And what's the number one thing that we can we, we do to punish the worst people on the planet is put them into solitary confinement. Yep, yep. And, it, and yep. it's just like, and I, and I don't know, you know, when you're talking about getting out of isolation, I think you know to piggyback off what you said is find the right people to put yourself with too because yeah. it's not just anybody making sure that you're you know i don't know what the what where it comes from but you're the you know um average of their five people closest to you or whatever it is 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I do that and I say, you know, look around at your, you're, you're the average of the, your five closest friends. And I look around, and I go, raise your hand if you need new friends. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of people raise their hands. Right. Exactly. You know, so, and it is, I mean, it's a big deal because, you know, the, if you're, if you're isolated, I find, you know, again, I'll, I'll speak to, I'm sure it happens with women too, but with men, when you're isolated, all the self-medicating ways of helping yourself all end up bad as well. Yep. You know, um, I'm a chairman of Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, which deals with chemical addiction. You know, so, you know, drug addiction, alcohol, gambling, whatever it might be, all of them take you to the basement. You know, so to me, the other reason you don't want to isolate is if you try to solve it on your own, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time that ends up bad as well. Well, and I know a ton of entrepreneurs struggle with that. I mean, they end up up self, I mean, I know a lot of people, I honestly, honestly do, where they, they end up drinking way more than they should because there's no way, like, how do you deal with the burden of, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in payroll, you know, I I mean, when no one else gets it, when their their reality is people do get it. Right. And and we don't, you know, but the, the goal here is to try and help people before they hit the train. Right. Yeah, but I'm yeah, trying to say, yeah, look, yeah. That when you hit the train, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. So let's try to not hit the train. Right. So mm-hmm. how do we help before we get to that point? And, and you got to get out of that isolation mode. I love it, Jay. I, I mean, you and I could, I, well, I got to get you back on the show so we can talk uh, some tactical things about, I want to hear uh, on a later date, some of your stories about your, uh, the sellouts that you've done with your businesses and how you took a loss in IPO. So we'll have to save that for a later date because I think we hit the, the most important things we possibly could have today. And you've got the new book out. You got a lot of uh, stuff on the agenda for this year. So for our listeners, what's the best way that they can get in touch with you? Uh, they can go onto my website, which is True Balance, T R U B A L A N C E D, or they can get in touch with me at J J A Y at TrueBalance.com. Jay, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Uh-huh.